Hey everyone, it's Andrea. Today, we happily dive into Season 3. Captain Picard saves all of humanity, and we ask the question, how many more settings are there to the phasers? Special note, this episode closes with another magical Chris French original. Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, it's season three. It's season three. We are season three. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It feels like it took so long to get here, but also not that long to get here. Right? (laughs) Well, this season has been regarded by many to be the best season of Star Trek The Next Generation, although I might differ. I might like to differ with them on that, although... I would say it is a really, really fantastic um, season. Today, we're talking about season three, episode one, Evolution. This episode was written by Michael Piller and directed by Weinrich Kolb. It is stardate 4312.5.8. A science experiment of Wesley's goes awry when he accidentally releases intelligent microorganisms called nanites into the ship's computer systems. This accident jeopardizes the success of an important scientific mission under the auspices of Dr. Paul Stubbs, an obsessed scientist who will stop at nothing to proceed with his (laughs) career-saving experiment. He does end up feeling a little bit like, I'll stop at nothing (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Do you have any initial thoughts on this episode, Cherise? Um, yes. My first thought is season three. Woo. Like I just, I know it's going to be just uphill from here and I could see why people would think this is the best season because it's, it's being compared to seasons one and two, Mm -hmm. but as we keep going, oh man, it gets so much better. So this episode I really liked, I loved the idea of the nanites. I just think that's such a cool type of technology and that they were like medical nanites is just freaking brilliant. Um, I thought it was really interesting that for once Wesley's science project does not save the day. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting little twist. Um, yeah, I just, I, I like this episode. How about you? Um, I, I did like this episode. My initial thought was not another computer virus because <laughs> it feels like such a like standard trope of Star Trek, but I will say this, the original series only lasted two seasons. So we really are going into uncharted territory. Um, yeah, there's nothing with, to copy now, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. This is like not only, and the pressure is on because not only do you have to have a full season three, but it needs to be successful enough to be picked up for season four. So you can really say like, okay, now we're actually like being successful. Um, but yeah, I thought that this was a fun episode. It's great to see. You know, my woman crush, Dr. Crusher, back at it. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't love her hair in this one. I think they were trying didn't. to figure out what they were doing with her, but it was lovely to see her back. Um, Shall we dive right in? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> so in the beginning, I'm just I like this part. I was just so free, just freaking and geeking out about this. <laughs> in the beginning, you see this really cool icy blue neutron star and it's sucking up space debris from this other really cool fiery red uh red giant star Mm -hmm. and i was just like this is gorgeous and they couldn't stay on it for too long because the ship didn't move at all pretty much during the entire episode so they had to just kind of like get glimpses of these stars and then go back inside of the ship otherwise it would have gotten boring but every time we got one of those little glimpses i was like oh this is so (laughs) cool and it's so pretty and i love this 
special effect of the swirly space dust. And of course, I did a total deep dive into stars and how you they work did? and what's going on. I sure did. Oh my God, Sharice, wait a second now. Wait a second now. Do we have a bell to ring or something? Because I think this is your first deep dive. Hit it, Sharice. Uh, I, I think it's my second. But yeah, oh. out of like 45 okay, episodes, it, we can say it's the first. <laughs> um, yeah, so- this was because I was like, I have to know more about this because I stellar phenomenon. Very cool. So a red giant is a dying star and it's created from the hydrogen that's inside of the star because it's made up of all these different gases being exhausted. So when it's a big red giant, that means it's on its way out. The next step for a red giant is to explode in a fiery supernova. The core of that star, the, the kind of rocky part that's left gets compacted by gravity because of that huge explosion. It kind of changes the gravitational field. And the little core um, has so much gravity that the protons and the electrons inside of the atom kind of crush together and form just neutrons. Get out! Which is why it's called a neutron star. It just like the gravity kind of crushes atoms, which to me is like, oof. <laughs> That's like <laughs> That's terrifying. a lot of gravity, guys. That's a lot that of gravity. That is a lot, yes. And the little core is so dense, right? It's so packed and just everything's crushed together in the center that a single teaspoon of a neutron star would weigh a billion tons on earth. That is what I'm talking about. So when they had that neutron star sucking the space dust from the red giant, like that's totally legit because the gravitational pull of neutrons is so huge that anything getting anywhere near it is going to be sucked into it. So I was like, look at that. They definitely have some kind of like consultant on this episode, making sure that this could is plausible. So yeah, I was just like, oh, this is so cool. That is so cool. And thank you for doing that deep dive, lady. Um, Just as like a model for understanding, an atom is a little bit like the, the center of an atom is a little bit like planet Earth and an electron is kind of like the moon, right? It, it, mm-hmm goes around it by gravitational pull, but it, it, it that gravitational pull never deteriorates and it collapses, like the moon never collapses into the earth. So when that gravity is so strong, so as to push that moon all the way to the earth and like, just get rid of all that space between, that's a yep. lot of gravity. Oh my God. Well, that was really cool. Thanks, Cherise. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Oh, and I got that from space.com. So I am not a... Uh astrophysicist by any stretch of the imagination. So feel free to play around on that. If you were as obsessed with these stars as I was while you're watching (laughs) space.com is a really good website. I I'm not going to lie. I've been on it a bunch (laughs) for years. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So we have one big change and I'm so excited. Like, I'm so excited. The new uniforms, we have new uniforms for the crew. They went from the one piece, like neoprene, stretchy unitards to two piece wool uniforms with the Mandarin collar, which is like mm-hmm. the classic Star Trek TNG collar. The pips are on their collar, not on their collar bone anymore. Um, so it's really, really nice to see that. Um, Patrick Stewart went on to, as a, he was a guest on the Arsenio Hall show around this time. And he was like, I can't give any spoilers about changes, but I will say the you the new uniforms don't hurt. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, poor Patrick Stewart. 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, I lost rest of the crew because I mean, I feel like extras kind of get screwed in this department. It's just like yes. whatever you got laid around. So yes. I mean, good yes. thing that the main cast was not loving those outfits because I think that led to a change for lots of people. Yes, it was them that complained enough that they ended up doing a complete redesign. But yes, you do see like extras and like lesser crewmen for for the next number of seasons um, still having like the original like unitard uh, uniforms, but mm-hmm. you know, they're only on there for a day and then they're gone. Um, all right. So Wesley has fallen asleep at the lab and he's late to his shift. And I totally felt that mm-hmm. <laughs> I have totally fallen asleep in the lab before. I uh, haven't let any nanites out. So that's good. But you know, <laughs> but you know, um, maybe because you were working on sea stars yeah, <laughs> and they couldn't get out of their tank. Yes. Sea star larva. Yeah. So really they can't, they can't go anywhere. They can't escape their drop of water. Yeah. So, um, we learned that the enterprise is analyzing the decay of, of neutronium as a result of a stellar explosion that occurs every 196 years and is due to occur in the next few hours. So it's a little bit like old faithful, the geyser, Mm -hmm. it just, it goes off like clockwork. Um, except the ship starts freaking out. There's shaking, there's alarms, and we don't know what is going on. Um, mm-hmm. And Dr. Steps falls over the bridge. He falls over the smallest part of the bridge, the like one inch part. But he falls the most violently that we've seen. He flies to the other side of the ship, laying face down. I was like, dang, <laughs> this is why the Enterprise needs seatbelts. My goodness. <laughs> this man is too old to be doing all that. <laughs> to be just being tossed around the entire bridge. <laughs> he was tossed a little bit like a rag doll. And so he has to go get medical attention. And that's when we see Dr. Crusher back. And I'm like, yay, she's back. And she does explain I was at Starfleet Medical for a year or something. <laughs> and now she's back with no explanation. So I want to know what you what you felt about this reintroduction of Beverly. Because obviously they were trying to do it in a way where the crowd would go, oh my gosh, it's Beverly. Oh my gosh, she's back. Like the way they kind of had her looking and the way the camera kind of like swooped around was supposed to be this mm-hmm. big reveal. And I probably would have been shocked did I not know that she was coming back in season three. And, you know, I was like waiting patiently for her to come back because I was like done with Pulaski. But as I saw the scene of her coming back, I thought like, wow, this is really unsatisfying. I need to know why you're back. Why did you just leave your job? I need to know what happened to Pulaski. There's no closure in this. And I can't be excited. And yeah, her hair was weird. But I think they were trying to be like, let's make her look different because she's been gone for a year. She should look different. And yes. it's like, no, she could look the same because Wesley looks the same. So anyways, I, what did you think about this return? You know, I was kind of there with you. I think if I hadn't watched all of TNG 10 billion times already, I might have been shocked. But of course, knowing that she was going to come back, I was like, oh, yeah, there she is. Um, I did think that the writing was really lazy in that respect, where she just said, like, well, I've been at Starfleet Medical for a year. Like, doing what? What, what were you on sabbatical? Like, what was this? Mm-hmm. Also, poor Dr. Pulaski, just like no ending to her story. Mm-mm. They just never mention her again. It's like, why don't they say, like, as Dr. Pulaski has taken a commission on aboard another ship closer to her family or something? Like, it or really anything. was just one fucking line of dialogue mm-hmm. would have totally been like, cool, mm-hmm. we're not just jettisoning her into space with the garbage, you know? Because listen, Pulaski is not Argyle, okay? She's not some, yeah. like, popped on the show twice as yes. a chief engineer and you just rotate her out next week. It's like she was here a whole season. She was here a whole season and she doesn't get a goodbye. So that was kind of a bummer. I would like to see Worf come into sickbay with a tea ceremony and then be like, 
you're not the doctor I thought would be here and then walk out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he had started to bond with Pulaski. And I like that. Yeah. I wish they would have, you know, the, the episodes in season one where counselor Troy is not written in the show. Yeah. Captain Picard always says in his little entry monologue, Mm -hmm. you know, she's away at a conference or something like that's all you had to say. And we would have been like, cool. And I could have done the little hand swooping motion and been like, cool, I'm done. I I now have like some closure. So that was a little clunky. I didn't love that. If you're listening to this, please send us an email to info at the TNG podcast and tell us what you think happened to Pulaski because we need some closure. So even if you make it up, that works for me. Yeah. A little fanfic um, mm-hmm. for where she where she ended up going. Um, so while we're while we're in sick bay, let's stay here for a second. The sick bay replicator starts to malfunction, and we start seeing this really cool like purple drink overflowing. And here's something that I think strikes fear in the heart of men and women: when technology is malfunctioning, and then you say, "Hey, technology, fix yourself," and the replicator goes. The replicator is functioning normally. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> For me, it's immediately like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like that's what I start thinking immediately. Um, like an like an iRobot situation where you think the technology is turning on you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening here. It's like, oh, uh oh. Um and of course, this is the perfect time, the perfect time for Beverly to flounce up to the bridge and go hang out with Picard in his ready room and want to have a talk about Wesley's development and what did I miss the last year and what kind of man is he? Does he have crushes? What? 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 Who is my son? And I would have been like, Beverly, the ship is starting to fall apart at the seams. We don't have time to girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. we don't have time for this. Although, although it is good to see Crusher and Picard having their little heart-to-hearts again, because you know, mm-hmm. Pulaski wasn't having any heart-to-hearts with anybody. Right. And that wasn't the relationship they were trying to establish between the two of them because that would have been very boring to be like, oh, Picard's always in love with the doctor, right? It just yeah. would have been like, really? Yeah. Um, I thought that conversation was a bit awkward at the beginning. And then when she's like, Who is my son? But who is he? I thought, Bev Hun, that's a question for your son. Yeah. I think you're asking the wrong person of all people. You're definitely asking the wrong person. You're asking the person who like, doesn't even like Wesley. He barely, no he barely to get to know him. calling him the boy. Okay. <laughs> like, Seriously. <laughs> He's not the biggest people person, at least not when it comes to kids. So if you're going to ask anybody, my choice would be to ask Wesley himself, get to know your son. It's been a year. You've been gone. You need to rebuild that relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is something that you need to go talk to Wesley about really like mm-hmm. find out who he is. Uh, she does try to do that a little bit later on, but it's at the worst possible moment. It's worst like time. It's like, <laughs> it's like your year in Starfleet medical has erased all your like sense of the appropriate mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't know when the right time is. But anyway, I guess we wouldn't have an episode if we didn't have some sort of weirdness. Um, so I did like that Dr. Stubbs, who is this astrophysicist who's trying to do this big breakthrough, I do like that he kind of sees himself in Wesley and mm-hmm. they end up having this little chat and he's, and Dr. Stubbs says, I was a wonderkind, which is a, a wonder child, a mm-hmm. child that, you know, shows greatness early in life. And he essentially tells Wesley, and now it's your turn and I'm passing the baton to you. <laughs> and I'm no like, pressure. Yeah, no, that's what I put. I said, this puts a lot of pressure on Wesley, even more than he already had. This poor kid lives like he gets up in the morning, puts on his uniform, puts on 50 pounds of pressure on his head and then goes and does his job. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't need Saving to add the ship anymore. left and right. Right. Just like, left and right. He's sick. He's 16 years old. Like, can he just like take a nap? Nope. Because you're on duty, buddy. It's like, sheesh. 
he's only, he's only 16. <laughs> yeah. You know what? My, okay. My first job when I was 16, I worked at, um, the sporting goods store and I just basically had to get people the right size tennis shoes. Okay. Like there was really no break. I wasn't saving the ship. I wasn't running meetings. I wasn't doing inventory. I wasn't mm-hmm. like nothing. It was just like, what I, worked size at you a, need? I worked at a preschool. Um, and I just like taught kids. So I didn't save any lives, but I did sometimes <laughs> have to clean up gross things. So <laughs> that was my 16 year old experience. So see, Wesley's doing amazing things, but basically Stubbs can see himself in Wesley because yeah. Wesley's so bright and has such a bright future. And I do also like the little like bond that happened between them. He's got kind of a mentor, like he can see what mm-hmm. his life could possibly become. And hopefully he saw that that's not what he wants because poor Stubbs, he has pinned his entire personality, all of his self-worth, everything yep. about himself on the success of this one single experiment. Absolutely. Which I'm like, what scientist does that? You have to have like, you know, comparable data and it has to be reproducible and all this stuff. So like you definitely should not pin all your hopes on one experiment. Cause at the very least you're gonna have to do it multiple times. And in this case, of course he can't because it's a 196 year delay. But I was just like, man, he's already like in a, in a troubled spot from the beginning that yes. if this doesn't go right, his life is worthless and he'd rather yes. die. It's like, yes, oh, gosh, I mean, my, I thought, out of science. my thought right off the bat is he's got this egg that he's built. That looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Since you can't do replicable, uh, different test runs because this thing right. explodes every 196 years, I would say build like 10 eggs and launch them. At least you have 10 different data sets that you mm-hmm. can, because if one malfunctions or fries or something, then you got bupkis. You've got nothing. So, but, but yes, I totally understand. He has, he has pinned everything he has on this teeny little ledge of a precipice and it mm-hmm. is hanging so precariously. And if things don't go exactly right, he will see himself as His like worthless. worthless. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Which is, which couldn't be further from the truth, but, they, but this is, you know, unfortunately this is how sometimes like scientists are written as like heartless, soulless, you know, we have to, we have to have this work. Otherwise, like all our likes work is over. And I think that even like in the terraforming um, episode, home soil, mm-hmm. that one doctor was like, oh, a couple of people have died because of laser drill accidents, but we have to keep pushing forward because this is my life's work. And I kind of wish that scientists were written more as they really are, just as like human beings. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have experiments that I need to run, but like, I'm not going to go around willy nilly discarding people's lives just to get my work mm-hmm. published. Like that's I don't, I don't know anybody like that. Do you? I do think scientists do get very passionate about their work and they Mm. can get like obsessive and they can get stuck where they won't listen to anyone else's ideas or theories because they're so committed to the thing that they've discovered and their papers and their point of view. So I definitely think there is a grain of truth in this stubborn obsession with your, with your work. But yeah, I've not seen like the wanton destruction of life, just like on the altar of your career, but I didn't get high enough in science. So maybe yeah. that's the thing. Like I didn't <laughs> I know. I, didn't I, didn't, I never got my so. PhD. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Now we've got some really fun stuff starting to happen. And this is visually so enjoyable to watch because the ship is starting to really break apart. Worf is detecting a Borg vessel. The doors start opening and shutting on their own. The computer is playing chess aloud. The ship is completely <laughs> shaking. The controls are not responding. Warp engines are down. Impulse engines are down. Like you are dead in the water. Mm-hmm. The shields are down. I mean, absolutely everything that can be down 
is down except Mm -hmm. like just the most basic life support. And I thought this is one of those moments where between the sound design, the visual effects, um, the set design and, and like execution, the, the team on Star Trek TNG has made the bridge go from feeling like this comfortable, steady, reliable, almost like a heartbeat to suddenly everything is breaking apart. And then the bridge to me looked terrifying. Lights are flashing (laughs) off and on. You're in half darkness all the time. You don't know what the fuck is going on. You don't know which way is up or down. Mm -hmm. The computer's talking to you playing chess. It's like, what is that? Like suddenly your sense of security is like zero. And I thought that that was such an interesting storytelling. Yeah, it's like a really, I agree. It's like a really bad earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrea and I both live in Los Angeles. And so we get earthquakes from time to time. We had, we had a little one just like two days ago, mm-hmm. but it's like a really bad earthquake where you're just like, wait, the earth is the one thing that's not supposed to move. Yes. And then when it does, it just messes with your brain. Cause you're like, well now nothing's safe. And now, now what do I do? And actually like the ground I'm standing on is not solid enough to support me. The house yeah. I did is not safe enough. And I can't actually walk anywhere because the ground is moving. So I can't, yeah, it's, it's just like that, like an earthquake in space where you're like, oh crap, like, what do you do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really go anywhere or do anything because the ship you're depending on is not working. Here's the part that gets me is as they're doing all this, having all these shutdowns, it kind of stops all of a sudden. And Jordy says, I need to get back to engineering, kind of figure out what's wrong. And Picard's like, yeah, take Worf with you. And my first thought and only thought, which I always have in these situations, is <laughs> don't take the turbo lift. No. <laughs> like we just saw the doors open, close, open, close, all this stuff. Yep. And I'm like, I was just like, oh my gosh. And the next scene, Worf and Jordy are going to be like mashed potatoes on the floor yep. of the turbo lift because or the ceiling, yeah, yeah, spin around and like, but thankfully nothing happened and they just went to the next scene. But I was just like, no, what you just saw, you just saw what happened. Yes. To that. You're going to get, you, you know don't what? get in the elevator. The turbo lift needs one of those signs at like the department stores that say in case of fire, do not use elevator. That's what they need. They need the little stick figure running downstairs with a fire coming behind it. As yeah. all department stores have. Mm-hmm. Do not use the elevator. Don't do- have little people crawling through the Jeffrey's tubes instead of like, let's just take the turbo lift. Like two seconds ago, that thing was doing who knows what. Which, which by the way, is there any Jeffrey's tube entrance point at the bridge? I feel like the yeah. bridge is the one place you would have to have a Jeffrey's <laughs> tube terminal point because if you can't get onto the bridge, like what do you, well, I guess you yeah. could say computer direct, you know, all access, whatever to the, yeah, wherever room they just, are. You could apparently run the ship from any location in the entire From ship. your quarters, but, yeah. Yes, but yes, there's Jeffrey tubes that end in the bridge. There's Jeffrey tubes that end literally everywhere in the entire ship. I um, certainly you just can't see hope them so. They're like under the carpet or they're like behind a panel, stuff like that. I certainly hope so. Well, the, my other thought too was when he said, he being Picard, when Picard said, take Worf with you to the, uh, to main engineering, I was like, why? What is, <laughs> what What's is your security yeah. chief going to do here? He needs to be at the bridge deflecting imaginary Borg, you know, attacks or whatever. <laughs> like we need him doing his very specific job and it does That's not include point. engineering shit. You have a whole Maybe he thought there was an intruder in engineering. I don't know. I God don't only really knows. Know. Well, and you but couldn't ask the computer because they were like Rook to L3 or whatever. It's like, okay. <laughs> At that point, the computer was like, there's nothing wrong. There never was anything. Wrong. Yes. I well, don't know what you're talking about, Picard. Okay. At this, at this point, he's so creepy. At this point, 
We still don't know why all of this is happening aboard the Enterprise. Is it the proximity to the dying star? Is it something else? Like, we still don't know. It's only when Wesley is helping Jordy in engineering that he realizes, like, uh-oh, this sounds a lot like the experiment that I was doing and fell asleep doing, and the lid of my little container was open and something might have gotten out and been and now is causing mayhem. And I love that the perfect person to get all of this information out of Wesley is Guinan. Yay, we get Guinan back. I know, we do get Guinan. He's crawling around in 10 forward behind the bar. It's clearly late night because there's nobody there. And the ship is at red alert. So everyone's supposed to be in their quarters. Oh, okay. Because he was chit-chatting with Stubbs, right? Back in the uh, shuttle bay. Oh, And then it went to red alert and he goes, red alert, get to your quarters immediately. Like, so I was like, oh, look at him giving orders. Okay. All right. But yeah, so everybody was supposed to be in quarters, but he was like, oh crap. And so he's setting these nanite traps all over the place. And as he's talking to Guinan, his mom, you know, messages him and it's like, hey, you're supposed to be in quarters. Everyone needs to be in quarters. Like, what are you doing right now? So that's why everybody was deserted. Why was Guinan in there? She says she doesn't like being in quarters, so she's not going to (laughs) go. I do love, I do love that she gives us a teeny little morsel of backstory. She says, um, I don't do well being confined to quarters as my husband's can attest to. Uh I was like, okay. So she's either been married multiple times or married multiple times at the same time. Mm -hmm. God only knows like with her, with her, her people, if Mm -hmm. Polly, you know, Polly Amory or whatever is a thing. I don't know, but I was like, okay. So Guinan has a ton of children. We learn and multiple husbands. She yep. just keeps getting more and more interesting, but Seriously. she is, she is the perfect counselor. Wesley is doing exactly what Wesley does where he's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I'm pretty sure it's not my fault. Oh my God. This is totally my fault. <laughs> and she, <laughs> and she just stands there calmly, non-judgmentally looking at him and he just spills the beans. Mm-hmm. He, this is his experiment. He created, you know, he's, he was using these medical nanites that are used for surgery and they're small enough that they can go into living cells and perform repairs, which I thought was a cool way of saying like so it does cool. surgery inside cells. So That's cool. so cool on a cellular level. Um, and, but he had two of them partner up to see if they can kind of like work better and stronger together, but he fell asleep and the container was open. And now there are only two that are loose on the ship. And he's like, it's, you know, they're, they're really not dangerous. They're very limited in what they can do. I'm sure this is not me. Please don't tell anyone. And then she just looks at him and then Mm -hmm. Wesley goes, you're right. I'll tell them myself. (laughs) I was like, this right here is what good counseling is. This right here. That was such a boss move. I just love that. Like you won't tell anybody, will you? I know I will. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't even ask, need to ask that question because you already knew the answer. Of course, Guinan's not going to tell on you. And of course, you're going to fess up to it. <laughs> yes. So yes, he like walks out like, do, 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 do. Like, yep, this is you. He knows. Go ahead and fess up, buddy. Yep. He knows. He knows. Meanwhile, aboard the bridge, Stars and Stripes Forever by John Philip Sousa starts playing on like level 100 volume. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, again, this is fantastic. They end up sort of like rerouting audio control or something and cutting off the marching band music. 
And I love that Picard is like, okay, we need to get to the bottom of what the fuck is happening here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Dr. Stubbs is like, wow, my experiment needs to run. He's like, dude, if we can't get far enough away from this star, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. All of us. So we need and to. Stubbs is like, I'm okay with that. As long as my egg goes in. Wait, what? Yeah. And I love how Picard just calmly says, well, I don't think the rest of the crew shares your thoughts. You know, it's yes. just like very calmly. Like, I understand you're willing to die but none of the rest of us are. Thank you for your opinion. You know, and Stubbs is totally trying to strong arm him and bully him and intimidate him. And well, Starfleet's not going to be happy if my experiment doesn't run. You're going to have to explain yourself. And he's like, that's okay. My priorities to the ship and the crew. And he's just like, duh, ah, you're just trying to play it safe. And it's like every angle that he's trying to manipulate Picard utterly fails. Because Picard is not the man to be manipulated. Like he's just Completely, completely. He would have been better off trying to put his egg in a shuttlecraft and sneaking off the ship. Like that would have worked better than trying to convince Picard to put the ship in continued danger just for his experiment. Yes. But I mean, how, about in any case. how about that? Yeah. Let's get Stubbs and his egg in a shuttle. And if you want to fly into the fucking star and die, that's fine. Go ahead and do mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's not that great because then you lose a shuttle, but like, but whatever, man, like you, <laughs> you choose to do whatever you want. <laughs> I know I'm a little, I'm a little cold and calculating about that stuff, but if you want to blow yourself up, go ahead. I don't care. Go, go do that. <laughs> the rest of us need to get away because there's a thousand people on this ship and we need to get out of here and figure out what the hell is going on with the, with the computer. So again, the bridge is looking very scary and they basically tell Dr. Stubbs like, look, we are not having you run your experiment until we can get control of the ship. There is just no way. So I'm sorry, but no. Mm-hmm. So he go, you know, Dr. Stubbs goes into the shuttle bay and he's looking at the egg and he's talking about like his legacy and at the cost of what, you know, it's like, he's just really sad. And then mm-hmm. here's an, here is an area that I was like, mm, Wesley's with him. And, and, Dr. Stubbs starts launching into this like incredibly clumsy metaphor about baseball and how he sees all the great players in his mind and how Mm -hmm. he can like blast one out of the park by looking at the star. I was like, dude, you are really like, do you need a minute alone to just flesh this out? Like, It just felt so shoehorned and jammed in there. I was like, I'm not feeling whatever it is that you're doing. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? I was getting a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes vibe because Sherlock Holmes has this thing he calls the mind palace. Where he like yes. stores information yes. and reviews things. 100%. And I thought, it sounds like he's describing a mind palace, which to me, or at least the way it's framed in the Sherlock Holmes adventures is that it's like the sign of great genius. Like very few people in the world can create this mind palace situation. Mm. So that's kind of what I got from it is I was like, oh, he's doing a mind palace. So he's like a super duper genius. Although I don't know why we're talking about it now or what it has to do with anything, but he's just in revelry because his whole life's work is is like, it's right at his fingertips and he can't touch it. So he's just kind of like going off the deep end. That's kind of what I felt. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I could see that. I could see that he probably is just trying to ground himself in something that gives him, I don't know, some sort of comfort, but Mm -hmm. God, if I were Wesley, I'd be like, I think you need a minute alone. And I still have to go figure out if these are my nanites that are doing this. Yes, so exactly. I still need to see if this is all that. my fault. So he does that. And Wesley goes back to the science lab and he's looking in this really cool microscope. It's basically a microscope from the fifties. Like it's, that's what microscopes yes. look like forever. Yes. But they added this kind of like, um, 
crystal to the end of it that made it look a little more futury. And I really like that. Yes. And the like, stage, okay. the stage of the microphone, uh, not the microphone, the stage of the microscope, it like is a LED panel that lights up blue. I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wonderful set creation and prop work. Like this is so cool. And yeah. it doesn't have an eyepiece. So there must be some sort of display. Yeah. The nerdy, the nerdy scientist in me was like, what kind of microscope is that? But then, yeah. but then we have what could possibly be the worst time for Beverly to come in and do the, let's get to know each other again, chat. <laughs> like, no, Beverly, oh no, no, Beverly, this is not a thing that we're going to do. And I think that there's this actually really nice, like perspective duality in this scene, because in Wesley's perspective, he's like, I'm trying to fix this fuck up before anybody knows that it's my mm-hmm. fault. And like, of course, save the ship too. But like, he's trying to save his own skin. So he's trying to work mm-hmm. frantically against the clock because he knows these nanites are just absolutely wrecking the ship. And it's mm-hmm. getting faster and faster and faster, right? They're getting mm-hmm. better at it. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, Beverly is like, hey, son, you seem really frazzled. Are you okay? Let's chat. And he's like, listen, I I don't have time for this. Okay. I'm trying to fix like whatever's going wrong with the ship. And for Beverly to Beverly's credit, she's like, did somebody order you to do that? Like she doesn't mm-hmm. know all the facts, right? She doesn't know what he's right. trying to do. And of course he's being very secretive about it. So I felt for Beverly, but I also felt for Wesley. That's like, dude, this is not the t- get, oh, just leave me alone. Like I need to fix this. Right. Have- Which is kind of like what he's trying to say nicely is like, I hear yeah. you. It's not the time he's trying to say yes. that nicely, but he's 16 and doesn't know how to articulate that. So he's just like, it's fine. It's fine. Mom. That's pretty much what 16 year olds say. And they don't know how to articulate something like, I hear you. I understand. It's not the time. Let's have this conversation later. He doesn't know how to say that. So he's just, it's yes. fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. And she keeps pushing and keeps pushing because she's worried that he's squandering all of his like, youth and joy and fun and life to be working so hard all the time mm-hmm. and she just wants him to be a normal kid although he's a boy genius so he'll never be normal but she nope. just wants him to be a, as normal ish as he can be and so she's trying to be like caring concerned mom and he's like it's not the time like i'm trying to save the ship yet again yes and then he just yes. kind of blows up on her he he does i feel like maybe beverly should have taken some notes from Guinan. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly the kind of stare to give Wesley for him to just open up because the more she tries, and I don't know about you, but I could definitely relate to Beverly where I have tried, you know, I see someone struggling and I try to talk to them and they just, A, don't want to hear it. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe I'm not going about it the right way. And I'm like, this is all I've got. I'm just trying to help you as best I can, you know, and sometimes it just makes things worse, you know? So in that moment, I was like, Beverly, no, like leave. This is not a good time. But mm-hmm. she doesn't know all the stuff that Wesley knows. She's just trying to connect with her son and be mm-hmm. like, you look really frazzled. Can I take you for like some ice cream or something? He's like, <laughs> ice cream's the last thing I need, right? Like he's just really, <laughs> it's it's really not good. So he does actually open up to her because the next thing we see, Beverly is discussing what's going on on the ship with the senior crew in the observation lounge. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is, these are nanites. They're reproducing, they're evolving and they're basically eating the ship as it goes. Like it's using it as fuel in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're demonstrating a collective intelligence. So you can't just wipe them out. Like we, we have 
what looks like a new life form here. They're, they're mechanical, Mm -hmm. but they're replicating and they're evolving. So Mm -hmm. as they, every single generation that happens every number of seconds, they just get better and better and faster. So which is bananas that they're reproducing so quickly because they don't have the limitations that organic life has um, because they need mechanical pieces to replicate and they're in a whole entire spaceship. So they've got unlimited mechanical pieces and they've got literal replicators that they can hijack to make even more. So they're evolving like, yeah, every few seconds, there's just more and more generations. And again, I am just like hats off to Star Trek for coming up with like inorganic life that totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I have talked about this before and I forget it was online or offline, but we talked about how aliens for the sake of the show, usually look humanoid because they're played by human actors. So they have to like walk on two legs and have two arms. But in real life, if there were such things as aliens, the chances that they would look humanoid is very, very small. They could look like a dust cloud or a giant crystalline entity or who the heck knows what. Yes. And so I love the fact that we've got this, this life form that are nanites. They are not Mm -hmm. made of anything organic, but they definitely have a sentience that we're Mm -hmm. seeing, which is so cool. It's just so cool. Oh, absolutely. It, that, I think this is very, very, very cool. Um, there were, again, in that home soil episode with the microbrains, like those little inorganic life yeah. forms. This is, this is only, I think the third time we've seen that we saw the crystalline entity and then on home soil. And now here where it shouldn't be so surprising anymore to the enterprise crew. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, we've seen this a few times, but it is really, really interesting the way that they describe how they, can multiply and then work collectively. It, it was just really, really neat. I, I loved it. I was really psyched about it. Um, so they're trying to figure out, you know, Picard's is like, is it possible that they know what they're doing? Is there any way we can maybe communicate with them or try to just slow their progress just until we can mm-hmm. get out of the way of the star and or right. launch Dr. Stubbs' stupid egg? Like, can we just, you know, can we <laughs> slow this down? And Dr. Stubbs, I don't know why they have him involved in all the high level security meetings because you're, you're just a guest scientist. Like, yes, Starfleet sent you. Yeah. He's representing Starfleet and this is his experiment. And there's no way you're going to keep him out of that room. Let's be real. I guess not. Well, with his personality too, I guess not. So he, he comes into this room and hits a computer panel with a phaser and kills a bunch of nanites because he just blasts this panel with the phaser. And did, and I thought, did you think this through? You can't be blasting parts of your ship with phasers and then expecting the ship to run normally to get right. out of the way of the star. I was like, you didn't right. you clearly here, did not think here's this the through. Thing. Here's what he did was he, as they were talking in the observation lounge, he was like, you know, they're just like mosquitoes, you know, just kill them and move on. And they're like, no, these are life forms like mosquitoes. And like, we need to kind of deal with that. And so he, he's kind of talking as they go into this computer access room, which, oh my gosh, this room looks so cool. Like, yes, I don't know if we yes. ever see this room again, but we go into the computer <sighs> access room. It is which such a cool so room. So cool. And then, um, he's saying like, Hey guys, have you thought about using gamma radiation? So there's yet another setting for the phaser. So this isn't like the blasty fiery, burn it, break it type of phaser. This is just like a giant X-ray. So he's like, what if you just blast it with like gamma radiation? And they were like, well, that would kill them all. And he's like, exactly. Pew! You know, so he's just trying to irradiate all of the nanites without destroying the ship so that he could launch his stupid egg. But of course, <laughs> he doesn't get rid of all the nanites because they're not all in this computer access room. They're all over the effing ship. Like that's yeah. the whole point is they're evolving and growing and multiplying. We don't know where they are. So instead of killing them all so that way he can do his thing, he just pisses them off. 
and yes, yes, it's genocide. Like, yep. with not even, you know, not even blinking about it. So, oh my gosh. Right. Well, in retaliation, the nanites just start destroying life support systems and releasing toxic mm-hmm. gas into the bridge and into the rest of the ship. And they're really starting to fight back. And so Dr. Stubbs is confined to quarters, um, which makes sense. Why not just put him mm-hmm. in the brig? I mean, don't anyway. Um yeah, and he, it's, and I he think it's because of his position, but yeah, he should have been in the brig. Yeah, probably. He just killed a bunch of stuff. Come on. <laughs> he just killed like millions of life forms, but there are trillions more which are going to come for you. So he has this meeting with Troy and Troy comes to try to talk to him and be like, I can sense that, you know, you're really, really tied up into this experiment. And you've put mm-hmm. all your self-worth. And honestly, I kind of felt Dr. Stubbs side on this where he's like, can you just get your fucking beam out of my brain? Like, I don't need you to analyze whatever it is that I'm feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that Troy so far hasn't quite landed on when the right time to say what she knows is, if that makes sense. I think it would have made much more sense for her to tell Picard, like he's really on a knife's edge psychologically right now. Every, his whole world is falling apart. We can't count on him to make good choices, but she says that to Dr. Stubbs and he's like, and <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you just, girl, you just wasted a lot of time. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you just wasted yep. your time. Um, yeah, but you know, so she leaves and Dr. Stubbs is, is like in his mind palace doing his little baseball thing. And the nanites shock the shit out of him mm-hmm. and they don't kill him, which I thought that was nice of you. It was very nice. Cause that would have been justified because they they know because they're intelligent and now they've evolved and told their children the story of the gamma radiation back in the computer access room that yep. it was just this one dude and that everybody else was like no stop don't do that so yeah. like if you're going to remove life support just this one guy would be sufficient so yeah it's very nice that they just shocked him and didn't actually kill him which they easily could have done it was like a wake up call i don't know what they were trying to do <laughs> i guess yeah and his his reaction was just like they're trying to kill me so now all of a sudden they're sentient they weren't sentient when you went to kill them but now that they're taking revenge, but now they are now they're sentient and they're after you. Okay. Yes. So we do have this really cool scene next where the crew is preparing to eliminate the nanites. They're like, we're going to just hit them with the low, you know, low dose gamma radiation is going to slow them down. It's going to, you know, we're going to have to kind of eliminate them now because now they're like posing a threat to people. Um, and at the very last second, data is able to establish communication via binary code. And I thought this was really, really neat in this like 10 second timeline. The binary code at first is very slow and like clunky. And then it gets Mm -hmm. faster and faster. And he's like, as every generation continues to evolve, they are now getting better and better at grasping communication. So in that 10 second scene, the nanites have gone through thousands of generations already Mm -hmm. or whatever. And at the beginning, it was like zero, one one and then it was like you know suddenly so that evolution in real time was so cool i was like oh my god because you know evolution takes lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes this was really really cool and again it's it's so great that they have data on the ship the only person who could do any of this and communicate with the nanites and oh, absolutely um, and i love how so picard summons stubs to the bridge and is just like all right, like, you know, the person who hurt you is here, you know, data, let them know. And Stubbs is just like, now I really think, and Picard just cuts him off. Like, listen, you will apologize and you will make this right. And you will do it now. Do you understand? And he's just like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like, 
<laughs> it's like, this is not the time for your bravado right now. You're going to make this right before our ship falls apart. If Captain Picard spoke to me like that, I would have the same response to him. Like, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Dang. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so yeah, totally. I, I loved it. I loved it. I was just like, that's right. Somebody put this man in his place. Cause he is just, he's just putting you guys in such a dangerous situation. He's thinking he's for ego hand. Yeah. For and he's thinking sake. he's forcing your hand break. where you have to destroy the nanites. So that way he can get his way. But like, no, instead the nanites could destroy all of you just for hit. Like, it's just so crazy. So then data offers himself up to say, you know, if you needed somebody to communicate as a go-between, I will mm-hmm. happily do it instead of me say, you know, saying what you said and typing it in. And then they say something and I say it out loud. I can just be the conduit. Um, and then Worf points out very brilliantly that, Hey, if the nanites take over, um, data, that would be a huge security risk. And I agree. Yeah. But they're just like, eh, it's faster. Let's do it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh Oh yeah. Because then you could have millions and billions of nanites running around the ship causing mayhem. And then a central nanite in data. <laughs> yeah. You know, he becomes the a central one-handed. nanite. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, dang. But okay, we do go back to that computer access room, which is so cool. Oh, it's so cool. That set so cool. decorating was so beautiful and just stunning, stunning, stunning. And we have this very cool little scene where Data puts his hand out under this little magnifying glass and we can see all the nanites like going into his yeah, skin. Yeah, that makes my skin crawl. I do not does like it? that part of the scene. Oh my gosh. It totally I, does. Ugh. I watched that scene like five times. I was like, ooh, rewind. Ooh, really? If you don't like I, it? I looked away. I was like, okay, just get, get them in the scans. It was just, you know, it's that my fear of holes thing, I guess. But anyways, oh. I don't know. It was, just, it was creepy. <laughs> but I thought to myself, um, shouldn't they strap data down? Like, and I get that he's data and there's literally no strap in the entire enterprise that could actually hold him down. But, but I just you know, maybe like, in a maybe in the brig with a force field or something. That's what I thought. He, that, I was like, that, well, that maybe a him. force field around him, like a seatbelt or a force field or something to be like, hey, just in case the nanites are super pissed and they're now in the strongest AI we have in Starfleet, let's mm-hmm. do a little bit of safety. Like Worf had a good point. Let's put a force field around him or something. But they didn't. They just were like, go for it. And so the nanites went to his finger and then data stands up and is walking around with the nanites talking through him. And I was just like, oh man. And he starts to approach Stubbs and he's like, we know who you are. I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to choke him out. Like what's going to happen? <laughs> oh, he um, wouldn't even waste no. time with that. He would backhand him and make his head blow completely off his body. I mean, it wouldn't even, it would just, yeah, just touch off like a champagne like electricity. Cork. Yeah. Yes. Well, so, I thought, I thought that a Brent Spiner does an incredible job as like a nanite representative, like totally because you would think, okay, you're one intelligent, um, mechanical life form. That's the, that's who he plays as data. And so if you were to play another like mechanical intelligence, you would kind of play it the same, but he totally makes it a very different performance, which I loved that as an actor, he really brought like a, there was a marked difference. You could tell when it was nanite data or when it was just regular data. And I thought that was mm-hmm. so, so cool. Um, and, and the nanites are as mechanical beings are ought to be perhaps just very black and white about things. Like they have no ill will. Their intention is just to survive and exist. And they're like, okay. And explore. Um, and explore. He says, we are explorers. Um, Dr. Stubbs apologizes to the nanites who immediately know who he is. And I love that Picard says, okay, look, this conflict was started because of mistakes on both sides. Let's agree to just end it now. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is 
this is okay. We've all this is read why we love him, right? Well, this is why we love him, but you know, this is the start to all those stories where the AI rises up and takes over the planet. And we all know how those stories end. And Captain Picard was there at the beginning and nipped it in the bud and saved humanity. Just saved them. <laughs> because I if totally it wouldn't was. have been for his diplomacy, the nanites mm-hmm. would have just ripped the ship apart and just moved on to like whatever else and could have taken over another ship. Or yeah. Whatever. We all or we just all like killed everybody on the ship and kept the ship. Yep, and we all right? yeah, we all know how this story goes, and he saved us all. So thank you, Captain Picard. Like this is this is where mm-hmm. he shines as a diplomat. Um, yeah, and then I, you know, they agree to leave the ship, and they're relocated to like a barren planet or star or th- th- whatever. Um, yeah. And the nanites, thank you, nanites, even helped Dr. Stubbs get his stupid egg experiment ready so he can measure mm-hmm. the exploding neutron star. And so it basically ends up with all's well that ends well. Yeah. And so the, the nanites end up getting their entire planet. Stubbs, in return for the nanites helping Stubbs do his egg, Stubbs uses his contacts to get an entire planet for the nanites, which I guess is fine because if it's not habitable, like if organic life can't live on that planet, that's yes. a perfect place for inorganic life to live. Yeah. And the nanites said that they outgrew the need for the ship or the need for any assistance from yes. any human. They're yeah. good to go. So they got a whole planet to themselves. And I just thought to myself, what if the Borg found these nanites? That would be bad. Oh, news bears. crap. But we never explore that. So yay. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a good thing because I can't see any conceivable way that we can make it out alive. <laughs> I don't see how the Borg could assimilate the nanites, but I do see how the nanites could assimilate the Borg. I don't know. Cause it, cause they're little, right? So the nanite, the Borg can't like use their little tubules to do anything to them, but yeah, anyways, super fascinating. So somewhere in the galaxy, there's a planet full of nanites that are evolving by the second and who knows yes. what they end up being. So, that's you know, neat. I feel like they would be the most technologically advanced civilization in a matter of like months minutes or years oh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean months maybe as is a stretch but minutes and hours they can build everything they need they can have the most advanced technology because they're they're machines they they don't yeah mm-hmm. no it, it, that would be super cool so all's well that ends well you know the exploding neutron star went off as scheduled dr stubbs got all this information and then we have this little end scene to kind of wrap up the episode and it was kind of cute dr crusher's in 10 forward and talking to Guinan, and then she sees Wesley come in on a date. And I thought that was really cute. She's like, this is that was good. super cute. Yeah. 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 And he's like, not only is he on a date, but he's they're like meeting up with like other friends. So it's like, okay, you've got like a little bunch of kids that are like your age. This is mm-hmm. good. And and of course she becomes a mom immediately. And she's like, tell me everything you know about this girl. It's <laughs> just kind of yep. cute. Yep. And and what does Guinan do? Look at her pleasantly. That's it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Typical she's guy amazing in. at. Yeah, she's amazing at. So that's where the episode wraps. And I thought it wrapped in a really, really cute place. Mm-hmm. You know, we did have that um, B plot that, you know, Wesley was like feeling a lot of pressure. And it seems like, mm-hmm. okay, he's not on a date. Although he's on a date, I noticed in his uniform. But you didn't change out of your uniform to go on a date? <laughs> they don't, if they don't change out of their uniform to go to the holodeck, they're not going to change out of their uniform to go to a date. I guess. I guess he takes his, he takes his commission very seriously. <laughs> I guess so. Um, Sharice, as we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? I really like this episode and I am just so excited and relieved to be in season three. So I thought this yes. was a really good one to kick it off. Oh my God. You? Absolutely. 
Um, I couldn't agree more. I love that we're in season three. There are so many good episodes um, to look forward to in this season. My final thought for this episode is humanity rests almost exclusively on hubris. We think that we're in charge of things until things start going wrong. And then you realize how completely small and helpless you are. You know, without the mm-hmm. ship, you are nothing. I remember learning that lesson as a teenager going surfing all the time. And I was like, I got this. I got this until a ginormous wave almost drowned me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm like not even an ant in this ocean. <laughs> you start realizing really how small you are. And I thought that this episode really nicely encapsulated that idea. Um, and luckily, they were able to get things back under control. But yeah, that that feeling of control is humanity's, I think, like one of our greatest weaknesses. <laughs> we can't imagine a situation where we are not in control or things are not going safely for us. So I thought this like explain that in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. Um, next week, we are talking season three, episode two, The Ensigns of Command, which is a really good one. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for hanging with us. Sharice, I say it every week. I love hanging with you and talking Star Trek. It's so much fun. Yeah, I love the level of geekiness we're able to take it to. I just think it's so <laughs> satisfying. Totally. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you next week. So bye. Bye, everyone. Yo, what's up? TNG Podcast. Ensign Frenchie here coming at you live from the holla deck. Going to introduce to you the one, the only Dr. Paul Stubbs. Season three, episode one. And the title that we watched is Evolution. I'm an egomaniacal scientist. So you bitches better step back. You can't resist. So after my experiment, we're tapping the keg. We're going to celebrate the awesome of my big fat egg. What's wrong with the bridge? Here's a hint. It's got a lot to do with Wesley's experiment. Running amok and eating the ship We got a board vessel on our radar blip I'll tell you what's going on Little bitty robot stepping up to the mic Gonna take some shots Yeah, I'm a nanite and it's my birthright And if you bitches try to shut me down You'll see I got a big bite Zapping the dude that tries to exude The attitude of being rude Yo, we won't be subdued Yo, Data, that guy crossed our border We'll leave it up to you to put them in order Our beats and our rhymes are unsurpassed You better shut down or we'll infect this podcast Number one, what's that music? Now I'm feeling patriotic. Things could be worse, I could be a Borg. That will never happen, I'll put them in the morgue. Sir, the computer is playing chess. I recommend we airlock Wesley for making this mess. Oh, and counselor, there is no need to grin. You have just been replaced by motherfucking Guinan. I'm a nanite, causing trouble. I'm a nanite, becoming double. Take your shit.